Well, good morning. We are thankful for the good crowd assembled here this morning. Thankful, especially if you're visiting with us. Hope that we'll get a chance to greet you, as we said in our original announcements. We're just thankful for the opportunity to be able to worship together this morning. And we hope that everything we've done has been in spirit and in truth and look forward to studying God's word together for a few moments this morning. We're mindful, of course, of the words of the wise man in Ecclesiastes 3, that there is a time for everything and there is a time to mourn. And as we look to doing that here in the next couple of days, we are mindful of the one that we are short this morning, that, is, that we are missing from our number. But even at the same time, as we are assembled here, we're thankful for you being here this morning. We're thankful for the many that are back among our presence. Uh, we mentioned, of course, Sister Arlene being here, as well as Frank being back with us. Samira has been back with us a little bit, but I think the longest streak that was broken was Miss Evelyn. Uh, she has been out for a while now, not able to be here, and every time if you were able to visit with her, she would say the same thing. I just hate missing and not being there, and we're thankful that she is able to be back with us this morning, and all of you, as we seek to study together for a few moments together this morning. The Sea of Galilee is a fairly well-known body of water. It's a beautiful body of water. I've not, of course, had a chance myself to lay eyes on it and being in that part of the world. But it's told that it is many times as peaceful and as calm as can be. I say it's pretty well known because, of course, when we think about the Bible and the Bible's effect upon the world, even though there may be many people who will not believe what it says or practice what God has told us to do, they know certain things. Most of the world knows about Jesus. Most of the world knows about some of the verses that have been given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The world knows a lot about different things that are in the Bible, including the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's beautiful dark waters are, are nestled among some rugged mountains. If you are to look up pictures about it, you can see sometimes pictures that are, are sort of from a, a greater distance. And you can see the top, topography of the area there. And it kind of reminds you of a peaceful setting. You can imagine as the world was beginning, so to speak, not necessarily the beginning of the world as we think about the book of Genesis, but, but the known world at that time around that area. People coming and going, being out on that boat and fishing, on those different boats on that water and fishing. But because of the topography, because of the area, it is known for those mountains that sometimes strong winds rush down. And they come down upon the people there and upon the water. And it takes this peaceful, calm lake and it churns it, if you will, into sort of a, a, a danger zone. An area that you don't want to be on. A lot of the small boats that are there, because it's not a very large body of water necessarily. But the small boats that were there are in danger because of this wind and because of the water. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat before that's been in danger like that, maybe among a storm. Uh, the closest the Danleys have really ever come is being in our car when, when a storm comes. A few years ago, we were uh, visiting in, in Tuscaloosa at a football game. And on the way home, it came such a storm that we just stopped. We just pulled over and stopped for a few moments under a gas station there to, to stop and let the storm pass. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat. I can imagine it's quite scary. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law were with us this morning visiting. They celebrated 15 years of marriage last, last Wednesday and went down to Florida for a nice peaceful honeymoon 15 years ago and got caught out on a boat off the coast of Florida. And you can ask them what it's like to be caught where you're worried about the boat capsizing or water coming in or what the next few moments might hold when you're far away from the shoreline. But it can be something that I can imagine is 
You don't want to have to experience something that can be quite terrifying, whether you're on a larger boat or whether you're even on a small boat. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 8. When we come to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 23 through 27 in just a moment for the context of our lesson. But really, as we think about the broader context of, of chapter 8, the event that we're about to read is recorded here in Matthew 8, but it's also recorded in Mark and Luke. And this account, or these accounts together somewhat, tell us that on this day, as it would appear, as we can look at the scripture and read, earlier in chapter 8, the Lord had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And if you come on down, I think specifically even there in chapter 8, Jesus has spent time later that day healing many who were sick, many who were demon-possessed, we were at the hospital you know, earlier this week there, and it was very crowded. It was very busy. I can't imagine when you have Jesus right there what it might have been like for people trying to get attention and to get uh, him to be able to do something to help them. But later that day, he had done just that for many who came to him who were sick. Christ here at this time was surrounded by a large crowd, and he gave orders in verse number 18 to depart to the other side. Before he does that, before he gets into the boat, though, we see there are a couple of men, verses 19 through 22, that make statements to Jesus. And he responds to them, and then he gets into the boat with the disciples. Now, that's important because when we think about the context, what Jesus does makes perfect sense because he enters into the boat and he must have been weary. Again, I, I can't imagine the attention that he would get. Constantly, day and even into the night, folks wanting him, needing him, grabbing for him, the things that he was able to do. But no doubt he is weary. He is beat down to a, to a sense. He is teaching. He has been healing. He has been ministering. And so it makes perfect sense to us in Matthew chapter 8 that he goes to the stern of the boat and he falls asleep. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse number 23. Now, when he had got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Verse 25. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think it's important here that as we go, before we go any further, that we note that it's important to realize that even when you are with Jesus, which we can be today, we can be in Christ, although he is not here with us physically, but even when you are in Christ or with Jesus, so to speak, it doesn't prevent the storms of life. I wonder sometimes if those 12 and those closest to him maybe hoped for that. Maybe they thought their life would be a little bit easier and they would face less trouble because they were with this Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. But it doesn't make it where we don't face any troubles. It doesn't make it where nothing comes our way. Following Christ doesn't exempt one from the tempest, from the storms that often disturb the peace within any life. But we have to remember that no matter how hard it is, how tough life seems, that we are in Christ. We are with Christ. Many times we feel like those in verses 25 and 26 here, as they are fearful. Uh, you can picture, of course, them bouncing around on the boat, if you will, kind of back and forth, wondering what they're going to do. 
We sometimes react that way. Now, earlier we mentioned that this event, this account, is actually recorded as well in Mark and Luke. Mark adds a detail that is kind of interesting for us to consider. And if you've got your Bible, you might turn over there real quick to Mark chapter 4. Because when we think about this and we try to get the full picture of what is going on here, Mark makes a statement that we want to apply to ourselves this morning. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 36. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Many read this story sometimes and conclude that there was only one ship or one boat on the sea that night. The boat that the disciples were in with Christ would have been it. You can picture the, the pictures that we've seen already of one boat sitting out on the water by itself. But Mark records for us that there were other little boats with him. Some people would look at this story and they would think that the fear that was contained there in the boat with Jesus, because we've got that recorded for us, but that fear was only in that boat. It was only among those people who were gathered there at that time. But at the same time, if we think that way, then we would notice that The people who were in that boat with Jesus were the only ones who were affected by what he did once he was awoken and he calmed the sea and the winds and the wave. But there were other little boats with him. Those boats were on the same stormy sea as the Lord's boat. Those boats were being tossed to and fro just as the Lord's boat was. Those boats were being filled with water from the high wind and the high waves just as the boat that Jesus was in. Those boats were also in grave danger of perishing as those who were with Jesus was worried about. Those boats were sailing in the same darkness and in the same storm as the boat that Jesus was in. Take just a moment and put yourself in one of those boats. We oftentimes put ourselves in the boat with Jesus, and I don't reckon there's anything wrong with that per se. But imagine being in one of the other little boats that were with him. And suddenly, for no apparent reason at all, the wind stops. There's a calm on the, on the sea. The waves subside and lay there in a silky smooth sea. And it goes from the perfect storm to the perfect calm. If you're still there in Mark chapter 4, verse number 39 describes for us, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. What's interesting to note this morning and the application we want to draw for ourselves is the fact that the same boat that this sort of originated from, if you will, had an impact upon the other boats that were there as well. Not only did those who were with Jesus feel this effect, but the other little boats not only were rocked by the storm, but also felt the calmness that came after Jesus spoke those words and after he calmed the storm and the sea. This morning, as we think about making application for ourselves. Isn't there a lesson on influence for us to consider? Sometimes we become so preoccupied with what's going on in our own little boat that we hardly recognize that there are other little boats around us. There are other boats that are upon this sea of life that are sometimes battered 
by the storm, that are, are worried about what is coming, about the winds and the waves that are crashing all around them, until someone like Mark, by inspiration again of the Holy Spirit, comes along and reminds us that sometimes we get so busy with our lives, our jobs, our businesses, our portfolios, our farms, our vacations, our retirement, our family problems, our financial worries, and we could go on and on and on. Sometimes we become so preoccupied with our own life that we forget about the other boats and how we may be affecting the other little boats around us. What is it that occupies so much of our time and our attention and our resources that we think it's really nobody else's business about what we're doing in our own boat sometimes. There are other boats on the sea of life, as we say. What we do within our own boat has an effect upon others. Sometimes we're dealing with the exact same thing as someone else. Last week we talked about grace and rebuke, and we talked about the idea that sometimes we have to take our lives and step over into others' lives and try to encourage them because maybe they're in sin, there's something wrong. This morning, on the other hand, sometimes we have to take our lives and step over into other lives and try to encourage them. Because we recognize that what I'm dealing with, you're dealing with. And what I'm doing sometimes affects you as well. There are other little boats, and we affect others with the things that we do each and every day. Of course, that lends us with an opportunity, or many opportunities, one such thing that we want to look at first, excuse me, is Matthew chapter 18. Before we go on to the next slide, Matthew chapter 18. One time during the earthly ministry of our Lord, the disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 1. And they asked him a question. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Sounds like a perfectly normal question sometimes. We need a hierarchy sometimes. We like to know who's in charge, who's making the decisions. We want to know who would be the greatest sometimes. So, you know, sometimes it might seem like a bad question, but maybe they're just kind of naturally thinking of it. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Notice what Jesus says in response to that question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. One thing that we can take from this passage is that children are certainly little boats around us on the sea of life. Those children have big ears. They have big eyes sometimes. What do they see and hear from us? It's easy to sort of take the finger and point it at parents this morning, but, but anybody or any of us, what do they see or hear from us? from the different times that we have a chance to interact with them. What about when we think they're not even looking? They didn't come into this world because they chose to do so, but parents do. But yet we all have opportunities to encourage young people in their walks of life and the things that they're going to be doing. What about our business or our job or our pleasures or our friends? Are those things sometimes more important than leading our children in the right way, setting the right example for them? 
One thing that we would notice this morning about the power of influence is there is a negative power of influence, especially in regards to sort of a natural outpoint from our children here. In 1 Kings chapter 22, and I picked this particular chapter and examples out only because of they're right here close together. But if you ever take a survey of the kings, and, and we'll be doing that here soon in one of our Sunday night lessons as best we can in, in one sermon, but if you ever take a, a look through the kings, you notice almost time and time again that there are statements that are made about the kings. And what it says is whether they are good or bad. And most of the time when we read that, what that is connected to is a father or a parent. Now, sometimes it's connected back to King David, and maybe those folks did not know him. That person did not know him directly, per se, that David may have been dead and gone when they lived. But, but there is a connection here with the influence that we sometimes have. I put negative power of influence here, but we actually see both. In 1 Kings chapter 22, in verse number 43, we're talking about Jehoshaphat. And as he becomes king, in verse number 43, it says, And he walked... In all the ways of his father. Now if we stop there and we gave no further context. If we stop there and we said it about you. Or about your child. Sort of open ended. What would that mean? What would that say? He or she walked in the way of their father. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. In verse 43 we go further and get the answer. He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them. Doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We see an encouragement here, a building up of Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his father, but that was a good thing. There's actually a good side of the power of influence there. But we don't go very far down to verses 51 and 52 and we read about Ahaziah who is the son of Ahab. Now we could leave that there for most of you. You know who Ahab was. You don't have to go back very far and you see him interacting there with Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. In chapter 18 we come forward in chapter 21 and Naboth is murdered because of Ahab. So it's not a surprise to us in verse 52 that we read that Ahaziah, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father. Now, lest fathers get all of the bad rap here, let's move over to the mothers for a moment. And we know his mother fell into the same line because it says he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. And in the way, even of, again, referencing someone who may not have been there in the moment, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Unfortunately for us, we need to consider the negative power of influence. Because we do have influence. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But it can be in a negative sense. When the kings were guiding and leading the children of Israel, many of them were in a negative sense. And every time, it was mentioned that they walked in the ways of their father. I don't have to tell many of you that, that we know that, that sometimes children choose their own way. We can do the best we can. We're in that state of life and our family in particular that we are already concerned about that. We can still tell them what to do and control their lives to some effect, but they go out on their own. But sometimes while we have them, while they're in our lives, we have an opportunity to have influence. May it not be in the negative sense as Ahab would lead Ahaziah in the negative sense. But let's hope that it's in the positive sense. There is a positive aspect to influence, of course, 
We already looked at one there with Asa and Jehoshaphat, that there was a powerful sense in which influence can be used. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, specifically verse number 2 here, we're going to read. But, but Paul gives an example as he's writing to those in Corinth. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of condom, condom, commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Verse number two, you are our, our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. The people here were living the life in such a way that Paul says, you are our epistle. Your influence is of the sort that we don't have to do anything else. Go further to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for just a moment. I didn't include this on the screen, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 8. Paul here writing to those in Thessalonica says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. We wish he could write that to the church at Sadi. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Notice 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 8. Your faith toward God has gone out. You are having influence so that we do not need to say anything. Paul tells those in Thessalonica, they almost put him out of a job. I don't have to go around anymore sharing the good news of Christ because the powerful influence, the positive influence that you have on those around you is that I don't need to say anything else. I don't have to tell anything because they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Because the Lord calmed the stormy sea in response to the appeal of the disciples in his boat, others in the boat received the good benefits as well. When we think about the positive nature of influence, when a person obeys the gospel of Christ and lives faithful to it, others around that person, we hope, will be influenced to make the same decision, to go in the way of righteousness. We would notice together this morning, we have lots of opportunity for influence. When we think about our lives, we have an opportunity to influence our children, our family, our co-workers, my own church family. So on and so forth. Even as yesterday, as was mentioned in announcements, our folks spent about two hours, and even after that, encouraging, trying to encourage people in this community. Yeah, at least one flyer was handed back, said, no, I don't want that. It's all right. It's okay. We'll go on our way. I believe, I had to run an errand, but I believe at least one dog chased Campbell while he was in his wagon, I think. But hey, that's okay. You know, we're just trying to have a positive impact. But those kids did that with their parents and others who guided them. And in the end, we had some folks who responded in a positive way to at least a kickball game, at least coming and being together. We all have influence. You know, I remember as a kid, I was a, a big basketball fan. And I remember uh, in the early 90s there that Charles Barkley was known for saying, I'm not a role model. And of course, certainly the church with the whole world together said, uh, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. You are a role model. You may not want to be, but you put the jersey on, you get paid millions of dollars to play a sport, to play a game, and kids are looking at you. We all have influence. What will we do with it? 
That's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 through 16, of course, being the salt, being the light. Salt, we know, influences things, influences our food. We understand the effects of light. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat before that was in the midst of a storm, but you've been in a dark room. You've been somewhere where it's dark and all of a sudden a light comes on. Whether it's a bright light that blinds you or a little small light that you then can see just a little bit. We recognize the influence. Jesus almost begins there, the Sermon on the Mount, with talking about our influence. We all have it. What will we do with it? Truth be told this morning, this is not the sermon that I had planned to preach. I, I spent Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday looking at something else. But life... Like life sometimes does, Thursday rolled around and all, all of our lives changed. I couldn't help but think about as I was looking through some other sermons and came upon this one I had done before. I couldn't help but think about the influence of A.B., about how he was known even among the community. I was joking earlier, I, I think the police chief was calling around about him on Thursday and trying to find his family. The mayor was calling around trying to find his family and get news. He had an influence in this community. We understand the influence he had on us. But you know what I really even couldn't get out of my mind was the fact that last Sunday, seven days ago, we stood here and we all celebrated together as Pierce made that great decision and was baptized. A, a family member of A.B. Was, was baptized and put Christ on, had his sins washed away, and we rejoiced. We all sat here, or at least a lot of us did on Wednesday night, as A.B. led prayer for us what would be one final time. And then Thursday, we see how life changes we have an opportunity for influence, just as he did and just as God willing, the rest of us will continue to have that going forward. What will we do with it? It's kind of like the opportunities of our life. We can't say we don't have them. We come across lost people every single day. But what is the good news that we're attempting to share? Not only with our mouth, not only with our Bibles, trying to study with someone, but just with the influence that we have on others. There are many other little boats around us. And we can't help but notice that we have an influence, whether it's the storms that come about or whether it is the troubles in life or whether it is the calm that we can sometimes exhibit because we are in the boat with Christ. I don't know that we have three points this morning, but I do have one final poem here to share with you and we'll conclude our lesson. Edgar A. Guest wrote this of a father and a son. Suppose, said I, that you should see a small boy tumble from a tree. How would you tell that tale to me? Why, Dad, said he, I'd simply say, I saw a, saw a fellow hurt today, and two, man, two men carried him away. How many injured would there be? Just one, of course, said he, the boy who tumbled from the tree. No, no, I answered him, that fall, which hurt the lad, brought pain to all, who knew and loved that youngster small. His mother wept, his father sighed, his brothers and his sisters cried, and all his friends were hurt inside. Remember this your whole life through, whatever may cause hurt to you, must hurt us all who love you too. You cannot live your life alone. We suffer with your slightest groan and to make your pain and grief our own. If you should do one shameful thing, you would not bear alone the sting. We'd spend our years in suffering. How many hurt, we cannot state. There never falls a blow of fate, but countless people feel its weight. Everything we do. Every day of our lives, we have an opportunity to have an influence on others. As I said, even last Sunday morning as we stood here and we sang a song of invitation and we rejoiced as someone responded in a positive light to the gospel call, that was due to influence, the influence of this congregation. 
In just a moment, we're about to sing this song of invitation that we can hopefully influence one more to become a Christian this morning if you're here and in need of that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've done that before. But you still, because of influence, maybe a negative influence, have wandered away, turned your back on God. Your sin has separated you from Him and you need stand in need of repentance, confession, coming back to Him. He is faithful to receive you to hear your confession, to forgive you of your sins, so that you can again take the negative influence out of your life and be a powerful and positive influence to others that you come in contact with. Ultimately, just as the Lord's invitation stands open, it's a choice that each one of us must make. And whether you need to become a Christian or come back to Him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.